I'm thankful for all who have led us in worship this morning and thankful for all that are gathered here in our sanctuary and for those that are watching on the live stream and thankful for a wonderful piece from our choir this morning. We've been taking part in something big in 2022. If you've been keeping up and reading and learning with our New Testament challenge, we have nearly completed all of the synoptic gospels. That's Matthew and Mark and Luke. And if you're keeping pace, we will encounter this very text from Luke 22 tomorrow. Following my first year of seminary, I was hired by a missions camp outside of Philadelphia, and we stayed on the campus of Eastern University. Each week of camp, there would be a free evening that the church groups could go and explore the city. We had a rule. If you were on staff and a group asked you to go with them, you had to say yes. We had six weeks of camp, and I was asked six times to go and visit the Liberty Bell. I have seen every possible angle of the Liberty Bell. I know that the inscription reads, Proclaim liberty throughout on all the lands and to the inhabitants thereof. I know that the Liberty Bell dates back to 1751 and predates the Revolution. Most importantly, I know that there is no place within 10 blocks to park a church bus or a minivan or a 15-passenger van in Center City, Philadelphia. And I have seen youth ministers and bus drivers sweating from Alabama and Maryland and Mississippi and Virginia and Kentucky at the idea of this. We sweat sometimes when we're stressed out, when we're anxious, when we're uncertain of what to do. In Luke's gospel, there's a story where Jesus sweats. Luke 22, 39 to 46. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And yet, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Then he got up from prayer, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping because of grief. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of this word. Let us pray together. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight. Amen. I hope that throughout your scripture reading, you have noticed many of the similarities and the unique details within each of the gospel tellings. Each of the gospel stories tells of Jesus' journey to the cross. But in Luke's Via Della Rosa, there are some different turns that Jesus takes. 
For example, in Matthew and Mark, Jesus visits Gethsemane following his meal with the disciples. In John's gospel, he doesn't mention Gethsemane, but he talks about a garden where the disciples and Jesus pray together. We've kind of melded these together to talk about the garden of Gethsemane, but in Luke's gospel, he doesn't go there. He goes to the Mount of Olives, a close place, but not the exact location. And the Mount of Olives was a customary place for Jesus and his disciples to visit. Now, there is a commonality between these. Gethsemane means olive press. And most obviously, the Mount of Olives is named for a ridge of olives on its ridge there. Within this section of the gospel, there is what's called a chiastic structure. There's a pattern that clues us in, and we have to look for any changes and personal attitudes that might be seen within this structure. Kate Givens Kime remarks in her commentary about Jesus' personal attitude. She says that Jesus is a bit pushy in this uh, section of scripture, where Jesus pushes the disciples to pray. He pushes for God to relent the coming time of punishment. And then Jesus pushes back about the removal of the cup, saying, not my will, but yours be done. He pushes the disciples to resist sleep. He pushes Judas later in the passage about the depth of his betrayal. He pushes all that are gathered to resist violence in the healing of the ear of the slave of Caiaphas. Perhaps it's worth noting that Jesus' pushiness might be because Jesus is being pressed in on all sides. The crucible in which Jesus is in is showing his true nature and revealing Jesus' faithful witness. Jesus and the disciples have gathered in an upper room to celebrate the Passover together, and he's informed them about some heavy truths. The words before he lifts up the cup in Luke's gospel show just how pressed and constrained Jesus may have been feeling. For Jesus doesn't host at the table in a jovial or jubilant spirit, but he says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. It's Luke twenty-two sixteen. Following the meal in Luke's gospel, Jesus and all the disciples retreat to a familiar place, to this Mount of Olives. And this is where Jesus would gather with his disciples to pray so fervently that he would sweat drops of blood. Jesus retreats to the Mount of Olives, and the pressure on him shows this place as the olive press. You've likely seen that before, where you squeeze an olive and just one little drop comes out. Jesus is pressed on all sides. He's likely aware that Judas is looking for him to betray him, but he doesn't run and hide in an unfamiliar place. But Jesus goes to a place that is his custom. Sometimes when we feel pressed in on all sides, we can feel all kinds of out, of out of sorts. These are not times where we're at our best. We might say something we regret. We might feel stuck and lash out. We might feel trapped and shut down. We might feel pressed in 
and feel nothing at all to feel numb. Theologian William Platcher in his book, Jesus the Savior, shares about these, the significance of these stories about Jesus in the gospel narratives. He says, they show Christ doing divine things in a human way and human things in a divine way so that the two sides of the story remain always the story of one person. If Jesus is showing us a divine way to suffer, we must ask about our own theology of pain. For we may have believed that our faith would exempt us from such suffering. But I have known some pain in my life. And in knowing your stories, I know that you too have experienced pain. To follow Christ is not a path of avoiding suffering, but it's an invitation that when life presses us on all sides, when we feel constrained and without options, that we can look at the example of Christ in the olive press. He knows the weight of feeling abandoned and feeling unheard. He knows of what is to come, the physical pain, along with the emotional pain of the disciples fleeing and denying and betraying him. Jesus prays. He prays that the Father remove this cup from him, but he also relents to God's will. And then comes the line that I've often missed many times in this reading. An angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. And Jesus continues to pray in this newfound strength, but even with this strength, he is not without worry. And Jesus sweats. He sweats like great drops of blood. Even with the strength of the angel of the Lord, the challenge in front of Jesus is one that is unbearable. Even with a divine companion granting him strength, Jesus goes back to the disciples. And what are they up to? They're asleep. The New Revised Standard Version and others give them some credit. It says that they are found asleep because of their grief. And perhaps that is accurate. The disciples are confused and they're dismayed. They love Jesus and they're concerned about what comes next. What comes next for Jesus? What comes next for them as a people together? They're alone in the garden and they catch a few winks of sleep. But Jesus encourages them not to sleep off their grief, not to worry, but to pray. And to pray specifically that they would not come into the time of trial. As another translation puts this, to not come into the time of temptation. In this journey from the upper room to the Mount of Olives and then the journey to the cross, we see Jesus embodying the ultimate act of faithfulness. As J. Clinton McCann Jr. states, Jesus' prayer reveals his willingness to pursue God's will no matter the cost. But what is our charge with this scripture? A call to prayer is good. It is fantastic for us to pray for strength and guidance, to pray to avoid the time of trial or temptation, but I think there's also been some damage done in encouraging people just to pray harder 
For Jesus himself prays more earnestly, so much so that blood drops from his forehead. The strength of our prayer does not come from the focus and the flexing of spiritual muscles. The length or the volume of our prayer does not define its strength. But instead, prayer invites us into a holy communion with God. Strong prayers seek the strength of God. The power of Jesus' prayer is that it opened him up to receive the power of God sent by a messenger. After Jesus has prayed, he gets up to find the sleeping disciples. And Jesus' motivation for this move to the disciples is not explicitly stated. But I would imagine that any human would seek out a person to hear themselves out. After receiving divine comfort, maybe Jesus also wanted some human comfort. And perhaps this is the first tiny betrayal on the road to the cross. For just a few hours earlier, this group has shared in the Lord's Supper, and they have not yet scattered, but there is no one to support the suffering servant in this moment. Jesus witnesses faithfully, even in his grief and anguish, but no one witnesses faithfully to him. For us, this challenge is twofold. The first is when we feel pressed in on all sides, when we feel abandoned and let down, we know that there is solidarity with Christ. This is embodied perfectly by Jesus, the faithful witness in pain and anguish. Even in stress and worry, Jesus shares his pain. He shares his innermost feelings and his turmoil. And in this pain, Jesus models a faithful witness and challenges us to the second part, for us to witness faithfully. The faithful witness in pain is not a stuffing down of feelings. It's not an avoidance of the issues at hand. Faithful witnesses don't pretend like they have it all together. But a faithful witness shows a godly way forward even when life is difficult. Even when life is painful. A faithful witness does resolve to pray even when they're uncertain if God can hear the words of their mouth. A faithful witness stands in solidarity with the marginalized and those that are pressed down in the world. And a faithful witness breaks a sweat, not just from praying harder, but in love and concern and in solidarity with people that need help and assistance. Our actions exemplify our theology. And it's clear that Jesus' faithful witness led him to the ultimate act of faithfulness. For Christ was faithful to death, even death on the cross. And each of the disciples, save John, would be martyred as well for their faith. And countless other Christians through the centuries have faced hostility but remained faithful. Now this text should not be weaponized to promote a theological support of abuse or self-harm, but for followers of Christ, we see an example of Christ being obedient to God's will, and this leads them to a life that stands in contrast to many other worldly standards. 
Jesus promotes nonviolence, even though violence would end his life. Jesus includes sinners and tax collectors and those deemed unworthy and unwelcome by the religious elite. Jesus faced pressure and stress, but instead of an avoidance and hiding away, Jesus did retreat, but to pray. Jesus' ministry is full of stories of Jesus seeking out people and persons in distress and healing them, seeking justice on their behalf or revealing this kingdom of heaven to them and standing in solidarity with their story. When we feel pressed on all sides, we know that Jesus knew these same feelings and witnessed faithfully. Even when it feels like the world has forgotten about you, God stands with the ostracized and the isolated. And when we see others in need, we too can witness faithfully. This might look like praying with your friend in, in pain or considering the feelings and perspectives of your neighbor or coworker or spouse that is going through a tough time. We can witness faithfully and use our life experiences and the biblical life to understand the pain of someone else. I found out later that I was not just a super popular figure on this missions camp in Philadelphia, but apparently a group leader or a youth minister would ask our camp director, I wanna go see the Liberty Bell. Can you tell me where to park? And the camp director would say, oh, Ben just took a group last week. I bet he can show you where to go. Now that I think about it, it's not that I've been invited to see the Liberty Bell six times. I've been invited to find the parking lot on South 8th Street six times. There's another historical example of this solidarity from the Second World War. The small village of Les Chambons earned notoriety during World War II. It's a tiny village in the south of France, about 5,000 people. But they helped 3,500 Jewish people and smuggled them across the Swiss border by night. There were other neighboring villages in, the, in southern France, but they did not risk their lives for these strangers. But the people of La Chambon longed to help the men and the women and the children escaping these labor camps and almost certain death. Interestingly, there were no Jewish persons that were native to this village but the plight of the Jewish people resonated with a local pastor in this village. It was the same as their story. The pastor organized the people of his French Huguenot church, and as pastor, Protestants in France, they too had known a long history of suffering and religious persecution. They had been pressed on all sides, but it had shaped them and not distorted them. As stated in Bruce Birch's account of the story in the Bible, Ethics, and Christian Life, he says, the villagers knew full well that such an identity meant for moral action when persecuted. When persecuted strangers sought saving help, they recognized in the Jewish people a persecuted people of grave need. In other words, they had known pain, 
and lived to tell the tale. Instead of a villain story of never letting anyone forget the pain they'd experienced, God is the hero. And they are aspiring to never let anyone stand alone in that kind of pain. Their previous pain, while not caused directly by God, shaped them, shaped them like scars that are also a part of the body of Christ. We may not have known persecution in a religious sense like this, but we have all experienced pain in our lives. We have known times of deep hurt and times we felt pressed on all sides. We've had times where we can help someone else because of a previous experience that we have had. In these moments, we recognize the love of God embodied in Christ sweating on the Mount of Olives. For Christ prayed fervently and witnessed faithfully. And following our communion this morning, we too have an opportunity to write a story. For we will encounter people of desperate need within this world. We may find ourselves in need as well. And in these moments, let us be reminded that God knows the human feelings of grief and worry and pain and pressure from every angle. And if we have known those feelings, we can meet others where they are. Let us serve and witness faithfully by meeting the physical and emotional and spiritual needs of the world around us. Amen.